Well, if you're visiting us this morning, I'm just wondering what, what brought you along uh, this morning. Maybe you were dragged along by a relative or friend. I mean, maybe you usually go to church elsewhere and uh, you're coming along to visit and to support. Or maybe for you this morning, it's been a little bit more constant nagging and arm twisting and, and you find yourself here this morning, though you wouldn't normally go to church. Well, this morning we've been celebrating the birth of these children and, and really dedicating them and specifically their parents to the Lord and praying for them, praying that God would help them in that task of, of raising children. Well, today we're looking at, or I want to look at, I believe God would have us look at a different sort of birth, spiritual birth. That is the way in which the Bible teaches you can start life spiritually. That is the way in which you can be completely transformed as a person. Spiritual birth. Well, this morning, in order to do that, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture. So if you have Bibles with you, uh, if not, it should be coming up on the screen. John 3, verse 1. John, the Apostle John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, from verse 1. Let's read and then I'm going to pray for us. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? I mean, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe... If I tell you heavenly things, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we just ask for grace. We ask for help. Lord, my heart's desire this morning, our heart's desire this morning is to just learn something more about your son, Jesus. We want to learn something more about him and and his promise, his gift to us. 
And so we pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us to see him and see him more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by uh, talking about a recent survey that I read on the uh, online. It's a, it's a large survey in Australia. It's a survey of about half a million people. So it's a very big survey entitled Spiritual Beliefs and Practices. The statistics are as follows. This is about spiritual beliefs and practices here in Australia. The survey says two-thirds of Australians claim that the spiritual life is important to them. It's an important part of their life. Three-quarters of Australians believe in God or a spirit or a higher power or life force. Over a third, that's 35%, believe in a personal God. 42% believe Jesus was divine. 43% believe that Jesus' resurrection was an actual historical event. More than half believe in heaven. A third believe in the devil. A third believe in hell. And a third pray or meditate at least weekly. You know, on reading this survey, I was pretty surprised. Actually, it turns out Aussies were a spiritual people. We're a people for whom over three quarters or over two thirds, sorry, would say that Spiritual life is important to them. But interestingly, even though we're a spiritual people, we're not religious. We're not a religious people, though we're spiritual. It's interesting that almost two-thirds of Australians uh, report to being Christians. That's quite a lot. But on an average week in an average church, less than a sixth of those actually attend church. 9% across all faiths, whether that be or all denominations, whether that be Catholic or Anglican or some sort of Protestant church. Two-thirds say they're Christians for only a sixth or less than a sixth attend church. And I guess we can kind of we can kind of relate to the sort of the skepticism we have about religion, can't we? That's sort of cynical, I'm not so sure. I like the idea of spirituality and believing in something beyond myself, but this idea of religion and being religious, I'm a little bit skeptical about, I'm a little bit unsure about, I really don't know what to make of that. I mean, we've had bad experiences, haven't we? I mean, we've all met those kind of religious people that seem to know it all. I mean, that, that's my experiences as well. I mean, you, you, you'll meet someone and they'll sort of talk about, you know, um, you know, Remember, you know how it says in Leviticus 16, chapter 16, about Yom Kippur, and wasn't what Karl Barth had to say about that so fascinating, so interesting. You go along and you say, yes, yes, oh, of course it was interesting and fascinating, but really the truth is you've got no idea what they're talking about at all. This is sort of religious jargon and jabble and, and talk, and, and you're just kind of pretending to save face. I mean, I don't know if you relate to that at all. It's kind of my experience. Or that sense of meeting someone who's quite religious and um, seems almost just in their presence you kind of sort of feel a little bit sort of insecure and a little bit as though you're being judged and a little bit sort of inferior Uh, a sense that they're kind of looking down upon you and the way you live your life and their life seems to be just that little bit more clean and and good and they seem to be a little bit more self-righteous and you feel judged and or attending a church and kind of experiencing something of those rituals i mean i remember attending a, a more formal sort of church uh, setting once uh, 
quite some time ago, quite a few years ago, and uh, just being lost in the uh, tradition and feeling like everyone in the whole room must be looking at me as everyone's sitting and standing and sitting again, and I'm standing at the wrong time when I should be sitting and crossing themselves and coming down the front and just being nervous. It's like, I don't feel like I really belong here and I don't understand and singing on the wrong page in the book and kind of in the flicking through and being lost and, and completely confused and feeling left out in the midst of this ritual. And I don't know if you relate to that, that, that sense of skepticism, cynicism about religion. We like the spiritual, but we feel nervous about religion. Well, in this morning's passage, we're going to uh, see a man with a spiritual problem. But before we get to that, I just thought I'd just make mention of that for a lot of us, even though we are spiritual people and enjoy the idea of spirituality, for many of us, we're unsure of how to know God. I mean, if I said to you, how can you know God, what would you say? You might say, attend a seminar or by praying or going on a pilgrimage or some sort of guru. We we like the idea of the spiritual, but this idea of knowing God, we're not sure about knowing Him. We're not sure, I mean, can can we know Him? I mean, if you've ever heard someone say, how can a a good God allow suffering? I mean, often the, the heart behind, the question behind that comment is, 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 is God knowable? Does he care about us or is he distant and removed? Well, how can we really know God? How can we be spiritually born, so to speak? If God is real, how can we, how can we get to know him? That's the, that's the main point that I want to address this morning as we look at spiritual birth being born spiritual. This morning's message is entitled, You Must Be Born Again. And I have three, three points for those that take notes. A problem, a promise, and a perfect payment. When our passage, as I mentioned before, we're going we're gonna to see Jesus meeting with a man. A man who's got a problem, a spiritual problem. Except this man doesn't even realize that that he has a problem because this problem he can't even see. Why don't you open back with me your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to read those first two verses. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came by night to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We meet this man, Nicodemus. The first thing that I think you need to know about Nicodemus is Nicodemus is a very religious guy. Think a priest or a clergyman or a minister or someone that's kind of got a a really good reputation for being a Bible teacher. But he's not just a religious guy. He's also a well-known, a powerful religious guy. He's a ruler of the Jews. That means he's a member of the Sanhedrin that was responsible for sort of governing Jewish affairs in in Israel. And he says, he comes to Jesus by night and he says says to Jesus, Jesus, you know, we know that you, you must be from God. You're doing all these amazing things, but he's kind of insinuating to Jesus, he's kind of asking Jesus, kind of underlying his comment is this, this idea of, 
Jesus, is there more to you than just a healer, a miracle worker? We, we know that you're from God. Is there something else that we should know about you that we're missing, that we're missing from you? Is there something else that I should know? And what, Je- what Jesus says to Nicodemus next is, is really, really surprising. Read verse 3. Jesus says to him, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again, is what Jesus says to him. Well, firstly, I mean, what is the kingdom of God? You see, Jesus is speaking to a people that are really familiar with kingdoms. You know, Israel in modern-day Middle East has been dominated by kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. Assyrians, the Babylonians, and now a massive kingdom, the Roman Empire. They are a people that are familiar with kingdoms, and as they are oppressed and dominated by these other kingdoms, God spoke to some prophets in Israel, and he said to them, guys, there's this future kingdom coming. There's another kingdom coming, a kingdom in which... I will rule, in which God will rule, but not just for a little bit of time, forever and ever and ever. A promise of a kingdom to come. You know, elsewhere you see in, in the book of John, it's called, it's called not only the kingdom of God, but also eternal life. Life forever. It's called the resurrection. It's called the age to come. You know, often in, in our way of speaking, we will refer to this coming kingdom, the kingdom that's to come that God promises as heaven. You know, often when we think of heaven in our mind, we think of, you know, nicey-nicey and clouds in the sky and harps playing and everyone dressed in white and boredom. And I mean, that's, that's, that's what we think of when we think of heaven, don't we? But this is not the biblical picture of heaven. Heaven is a place that is promised in Scripture, where God will rule. It's the kingdom of God that God is bringing, where He will rule and reign forever and ever. It's eternal life, not 80 years. It's life forever with God's people and God ruling forever and ever. Well, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to this guy, to Nicodemus, He's saying that there's a coming age where God will rule And to be part of it, you need a change. You need a a radical change. A change so great that the closest thing I can give to to you to illustrate is, is that it's like being completely born again. That's the closest parallel. That's the closest example I can give to you. It's like being born and starting life all over again. That's, Nicodemus, what you need. And this is massive for Nicodemus. You see, the Jews at that time, God's people at that time, they believed that you'd be... You'd be in God's kingdom just because you were born as a Jew. I mean, of course I would, I'd go into God's kingdom. I mean, I, I'm part of his people. Of course it's going to happen. But for Nicodemus, even more, Nicodemus isn't just any Jew. He's a religious leader of the people. He's a Jew of Jews. He's part of the religious elite. And Jesus is saying, not only are you not automatically a part, but you need a radical change to enter. I mean, this is massive. This is massive for Nicodemus. And he can't believe it. He says, 
what are you talking about, Jesus? What are you saying? I mean, how can an old man like me like climb back into my mother's womb? How is this possible? This is crazy. Let's see what Jesus says next. Before we do that, actually, I just want to pause and just, just dwell on what Jesus is saying here just for a moment longer. What Jesus is saying here is that being religious won't help you get into the kingdom of God. To get into the life to come, eternal life. To be part of the resurrection. To be part of God's people forever and ever. Being religious will not help you. Now, I'd hazard a guess that here this morning, most people would consider themselves pretty good people. I mean, that's, that's my story, definitely. You know, often when I talk to people about my story and, you know, how, how God has been working in my life, I, I share with them about growing up in a Christian family and I share with them about, you know, this rebellious phase I had where, where you know, I, I you know, was hanging out with the wrong crowd and, and desperately wanted approval from people. And it's true, it's absolutely true. But what I kind of don't fill in in the gaps is that I was never the guy out there leading the charge of, you know, let's do this and take drugs or anything like that. I was the overly concerned guy at the back of the crowd saying, uh, maybe we should tell our folks about it or I'm not sure this is a good idea. Or I was the one that was always having a concern and nervous that we're doing the wrong thing. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I've... I've been, a, let's be honest, a nerd and, and uh, you know, I've got, I've got challenges, but, you know, I've had a good life, I haven't done anything majorly wrong, you know, I've worked hard, I've got no major offences, I generally try and do the right thing, I mean, I've, I've got two, you know, university degrees, you know, if that counts for something, I'm a nice person, and, and so I think to myself, you know, I'm not really sort of that bad, I haven't really, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person, Right? Nicodemus is a top-class religious leader. Now, let's think about that. You know, he has by far probably done more good things than any person in this room. He has prayed more. He has read the Bible more. He's attended church more. He's, he's, he's probably been more generous than all of us as well. Top-class religious leader. And Jesus looks him in the eye and he doesn't say, you know what, Nicodemus, probably clean up a few little things here and there and you'll be all right. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll be straight into God's kingdom. Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, what you need is radical change. What you need is complete transformation. What you need is so great, I'm going to say, it's like being born again. That's massive. Think about that top-class religious leader, Jesus says, you need to be born completely. You need to almost start afresh. And you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, we, we, we have failings. New Year's resolutions, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, I hate them. Because I, I can never keep them, that's why. When I start out, you know, I'm going to stop eating chocolate and I get, you know, three days and you know, then I'm back onto the Cabri and 
you know, advertising, have you ever wondered about why advertising is so effective? You know, you can look better. You can feel better. You can smell better. You can be a better mum. You can be a better athlete. You can be more healthy. Why is it so effective? Because I think there's something in us that's really dissatisfied with the state of life that we have. There's something in us that feels as though we're not quite as good as we could be, isn't there? And so when someone's telling us you can be more, we think, yeah, that's right, I want to be more because because I'm unhappy with, with my current situation. I need more things. I mean, if we're honest, we have failings. I mean, who here amongst us, if I said, I'm going to take your inner life, I'm going to take your thoughts, everything that you've done in secret, I'm going to make it into a six-minute video trailer. I'm going to put it right up there for everyone to see. I mean, who here wouldn't just like cringe at the thought of that? Who here just wouldn't be deeply ashamed to see everyone seeing our most secret thoughts and, and, and ideas? You know what? The reason is, is because we have failings. We have deep failings. We, we don't even keep our own standards, let alone the standards of a holy, a righteous, a just God. But that's not even our greatest failing. Our greatest failing is that we've made ourselves the kings and queens of our own lives and turned our back on our Creator our maker we're out of sync with God we are in the Bible's language spiritually dead disconnected from the true source of spirituality our God the best illustration I could think of this situation our situation is a husband and wife after many years, a spouse saying, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving you. I don't want anything else to do with you. And the question I want us to consider is, would that relationship continue unaffected? One says to the other, you know what? I'm, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm leaving. Thank you very much. I've seen this situation and it will not continue unaffected. It is relational disconnect. It is brokenness. When we live for ourselves, when we determine that we will be the ones controlling our lives, that my life is about my hopes and my ambitions being fulfilled for me, when we live for ourselves and not for our maker, when we ignore his commands, it's like saying to him, away with you. We are spiritually disconnected. We are spiritually dead. If you did it to me, it would be no deal. But to our God, it's high treason. Because he is our maker. He is our king. He is the one who rightly rules over all things. We are in desperate need. And because of this, not even the most religious man can escape He needs massive transformation. He needs something so great we can only best describe it as being born again. But just like you and just like me and just like Nicodemus, we have a problem. 
we've decided to live for ourselves rather than God, and so we have desperate need. Point one. Well, point two is a promise. Let's uh, continue, as I promised earlier, uh, reading from verse five of our passage. John 3, verse 5, Jesus says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says to Nicodemus. What's he talking about? Well, Jesus here in this passage is quoting a very, very famous passage in the Old Testament, one that would have been very familiar to Jews at that time, God's people at that time. It's a a passage called uh, from the book of Ezekiel, book of prophecy, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I'm going to read it for us just now so that we can understand what Jesus is talking about. Ezekiel, or God says through the prophet Ezekiel, he says to his people, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, to be careful to obey my rules. What's this all about? God is promising here to his people, he's promising two things. The first thing he's promising is cleansing. You see, God's people at this time, they turn their backs on him. They say, God, you know what? I don't want anything to do with you. I want to I want to live for myself. I want to do what's best for me, is what God's people had said. And the result was that they'd been worshipping idols. They'd been sexually immoral. They'd been uh, corruption and oppression. They'd been injustice. And, and, and God sees this. He sees this in his people. He says, you know what, guys? You have become defiled. You have become filthy. Do you know what? I will sprinkle you with water and you will be clean. He's promising cleansing. He's promising washing away of all their guilt. But it's not just cleansing. He's promising something else and that's spiritual transformation. It's not enough to wash them clean. You know, they had hearts that they didn't want anything to do with God at all. They had hearts that were so hard, they were saying, God, get lost. I do not want to live for you. And so God uses a word picture to describe what their hearts had become. He calls their hearts like stones. Well, what, what's it about a stone, you know, that's, that's so special? The thing about stone is that if you squeeze it with your hand, what happens? Or if you're anything like me, nothing happens. Stones are hard, unchangeable, and cold. And God says to his people, your hearts are like stones. You are cold and callous. You want nothing to do with me and you will not change. And so you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to spiritually transform you. I'm going to completely change you. I'm going to do something so great. It's like a heart transplant. I'm going to take that stony heart. I'm going to put a heart of flesh in you. But even more than that, I'm going to do something even greater than that. I will take my own spirit and I will put it in you. I will take my spirit and place it in you. I will give you spiritual birth 
That's our massive spiritual birth. The God of the universe. The God who spun the stars in the sky would come and send his spirit, his spirit, to dwell in the hearts of men and women like us. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that massive? That's what God is promising here. He's promising complete transformation. And so when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever wants to go into that kingdom of God, whoever wants to enter into heaven, into that resurrection, new life, that kingdom to come where God is willing, whoever wants that, what he needs is to be born of water and spirit. He's saying what he needs is cleansing and spiritual transformation. You know, Christianity is, I believe, the only faith which you cannot be born into. Jesus goes on and he says, unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot come in. He says, everyone is born of, of flesh. You know, everyone is born physically, but, but that is different from being born spiritually. You know, you can't just be born into being a Christian. Everyone is born physically and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're here, they're alive, they're flesh. But, but that is not the same thing as being born spiritually. We cannot just be born as Christians. We, we must be born again. We must be transformed completely to become Christians. Well, Jesus says you need God's promise to have eternal life. That's a cleansed heart and spiritual transformation, spiritual born to birth, to be born spiritually. Well, third point. Not just a problem, not just a promise, but a perfect payment. You know, when Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is amazed. He, he, he's like, how on earth is this possible? How on earth could someone be cleansed and born spiritually? How on earth could that promise come true that God's Spirit would come and dwell. This is, this is amazing. This is impossible, it seems. And, and Jesus rebukes him. He says, but you're a top-class religious leader and you don't get this? You should, you should know exactly what I'm talking about, how this is possible. And he goes on. He says, you know, if you want to receive cleansing and be born spiritually, let me tell you what is necessary. Read on with me, uh, verse 14. Jesus says, you want to know how? This is how. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus here is talking about another Old Testament story that would have been so familiar to Nicodemus. It's so good to see the maker coming and speaking in, in Nicodemus' language, he, he clearly would have understand, understood this. This is a famous incident in, in the book of Numbers. A famous incident where God had rescued his people out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt who had been enslaved for many, many years, for 400 years. Takes them out of Egypt miraculously and takes them out into the wilderness and his people are whingers. They are, they are whinging and grumbling and complaining they are carrying on. They're saying, you know, 
take us back to Egypt. We've been better, better than here. Why, don't you, why have you taken us out here to die? And they're complaining. And, and then they're turning their backs on God and starting to worship other gods and things. And so God sends this like plague down through of, of snakes, uh, pythons that come through and they bite people and people are dying. And then God's people are like, oh, God, help us, you know, help us, save us. What, what's going on? And God says, okay, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a serpent. I want you to put it, make it out of bronze and put it on a stick and raise it up. And then if someone gets bitten by a serpent, they'll look at the snake and they'll be healed. Well, what's happening here? Jesus says, you want to know how to enter the kingdom of God. You want to know how to be born again. I'm going to be lifted up just like that snake. I'm going to be lifted up just like that serpent. Look at me and be healed. Believe in me and live. He's talking about the cross. You see, God is our maker and sustainer. Even a human hand. You know, I I work two days a week as a physiotherapist and intricately complex. You look at the rivets and tiny little pieces of even the pattern of a fingerprint. And the testimony of Scripture is that God not only made the stars in the sky, God not only made the dust of the earth, but God made us. And He made us, and He made us perfectly. He made us good. You know, he made us and made us to know him and love him and enjoy him. We turn our back on him. And we said, God, I want to determine the course of my life. I want to be the one calling the shots. Away from me. I want nothing to do with you. These people have turned their backs on him. And it's crazy because it's like a pot turning its back on the potter who made it. It's crazy. And because of who God is and who we are as the people he has made, we deserve to be annihilated. We deserve to be wiped out. We deserve to be completely destroyed. And yet God is a God of mercy and of love. God is a God whose very disposition is to forgive, is to extend grace. And though we were in serious debt, He did not allow our debt to stand. You know, Shara and I are getting married next week, and one of the things we've been doing is looking around at properties here in Sydney. We've been looking at units, and and I found. I saw off the plan a, um, a single-bedroom unit just up the road in Asquith, new unit, $466,000. Well, we could never afford that. And you look around this city and you see so many people in so much debt. Mortgage stress kicks in and we work so hard to pay off our debt. And yet the truth is that financial debt is not our greatest debt. Not in the least. 
it is not our greatest debt because our very own blood belongs to our maker against whom we have sinned. And though the appropriate penalty is for our blood to be spilled, God's response is not make amends through following lots of rules. No, we could never pay in full for what he has done. The penalty that is against us is too great. No, what is God's response? God's response is to send his very own son. The maker of the universe sends God the Son down to earth to die in our place for our sins. To die for us and all the wrong we have done, not by means of any old death, but to die on a cross in agony, bearing his anger for all the wickedness we have done in turning our back on him. You know, you might think about the cross if you're not someone who usually comes to church and consider the cross. And you might think it was a horrible accident, a horrible travesty of history. But this is not what the Bible teaches us. No, the Bible teaches us that Christ came to die. He was born to die. His purpose and plan from the beginning of time was to come and die for us. You know, Jesus himself puts it this way in John chapter 10, verse 18. He says of his life, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He was born to die. He laid down his life of his own accord because he considered us. Because he thought of us. Because our God is not a God of pure anger and wrath, but one of also great mercy and love. Amazing grace. Well, you might be sitting here this morning and thinking, but, but, but you don't know me. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the baggage I carry. You don't know the, the, the wrongs that I've committed in my life. The Bible says it was paid in full. You know, Paul says in Colossians 2.14, talking about how Jesus Christ gives us life, he said, he gave us life by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You know, if you've, if you've committed wrongs against God, if you coming to church, you feel inferior because you feel defiled, you feel as though you've sinned against Him, you feel as you're unclean and unworthy of His affection, the message of Scripture is, yes, that is true, you are not worthy, but the blood of Christ has paid it all, paid in full, all to grace I owe, grace and grace alone. Christ was born to die and He was born to die for you. The result is reconciliation with God. The result is mending of a broken relationship. The weight of debt that stood between us and God. The gap has been bridged. We are reconciled to Him. We are born spiritually. Well, how is this received? How is this gift of life, the cross, received? 
Well, let's read the last two verses of our passage. And these are famous verses. They're verses that are undoubtedly familiar to you. Jesus says, The Son of Man has come to be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world, he so loved the, the people that he had made, that he did not respond with wrath and anger, but he took his wrath and anger and he poured it out on his son. He so loved you and me that he sent his son to die for us. The message of scripture is that eternal life, that gift of entering into his kingdom, is not something we can earn or deserve. It's something we will never earn or deserve. We can only receive it as a free gift. The message of scripture is repent and believe. Change your mind about Christ. Repent. That's what it means. Make a decision to turn your life around. Ask for forgiveness for the wrong you've done and believe in him. We can't negotiate with God. We can't dictate to God the the terms on which we can be made right with him. We must accept what he says. Repent and believe and you will be saved. Well, the result of this is that that broken relationship is restored. We are born spiritually. Spiritual life for us begins. And you know what? This morning, I just, I just want you to know something of that, that spiritual new life to be born spiritually. Through the cross, we have access to God. We have access to this beautiful relationship where we can know God and enjoy Him, a relationship of hope for the future and of forgiveness for the past and the present. A reconciliation to God, true spirituality for us can begin through the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, I, just the other week I was catching up with a friend of mine, a friend uh, from Wollongong who I'd known for many years and who I'd heard wasn't walking with Jesus anymore, wasn't following Christ, wasn't a Christian anymore. And I said to him, you know, mate, like, what happened between you and God? You know, what happened? You know, why have you stopped coming to church and stopped, you know, following Christ, stop being a Christian. And he said, you know what, to be honest with you, Brendan, I just got over it. I mean, have you heard people speak that way before? You know, I grew up in a Christian home, but I've moved on from it, to be honest. There was something I used to do in the past, but I don't do anymore. I mean, maybe you're here this morning, and and that's your perspective and, and your past I want to say something to you this morning, and that is, if Christianity for you isn't it, you haven't understood the message. Because Christianity is not an it, it's a him. You know, being a Christian is all about the person of Jesus Christ. It's all about knowing him, enjoying him, receiving his gifts, and following him for the rest of our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian. And the question I want to close with this morning is, what's your response to Jesus this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you've got this interest in Jesus. You know, you've got this sense of, oh, there's something fascinating about him and his life and I want to get to know him more, but I've got questions. I want to say to you this morning, do something about those questions. 
do something about it. Make a positive step towards getting to know him more. We've got things to help you. You can talk to the friend that brought you along or the, the person you've come here this morning to support and ask them your questions. We also are doing things in the new year to help you in that process. We have a course called Introducing Jesus that runs over four weeks. It's coming in in the beginning of the new year. We have a five-part series. We're going to be answering some of those tough questions that that people have about following Jesus called God versus the world. There's information out and through those doors. But if you're interested in Jesus, let me me encourage you to, to make a positive step towards having those questions answered. But maybe you're here this morning and... And you're thinking, you know what? I think he's completely right. I think that he's right when he says the, you can be entering into this relationship with Jesus, with God through Christ. And I believe that, yes, that what Jesus said is true, that he died on the cross for my sins and, and that being born spiritually is something I've not yet received and maybe it's something in the past I've looked over but now I need I, I, I see that that's something I want and need I just want to give you an opportunity today to respond as I mentioned before the message of the cross is repent and believe and you will be saved put your trust in Christ ask for forgiveness for the wrong you've done and you can be born spiritually and enter that relationship with him and so I want to encourage you this morning. We're going to end with a song called I Stand Amazed in the Presence. And if that's you this morning and you're someone who's, you've never actually stopped to put your trust in Him. You've never actually paused to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've even grown up in a Christian family just like me, but you've never made Jesus your King. Let me encourage you this morning. As we sing this song, maybe in the quiet of your heart, make a, make a simple prayer is all it takes. The simple prayer is as easy as this. Uh, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the wrongs I've done. I'm sorry that I turned my back on you. I trust in the work that you have done on the cross. I give my life to follow you. Let me encourage you this morning. If that's you, Pray that prayer. Make this song a prayer to to Jesus this morning and have the assurance to know that if you pray to receive Christ, you put your trust on Him and Him alone. That kingdom of God that Christ is talking about is yours. Let's close by praying as we turn now to sing our last song. Lord, this morning we want to thank you for the cross and the price you paid. We want to thank you that even though we have this incredible spiritual problem, this disconnect from you, our maker, that that by your promise, Lord, of cleansing and spiritual birth, we can receive it. That no matter the sins we've committed in the past, No matter how great the things we've done against you, we can be completely washed clean and born spiritually. Lord, thank you. That is grace amazing. Lord, I pray this morning for us. I pray for anyone in the room who's not made Christ their own. I pray that they'd come to know him, to know how sweet it is to follow him. I pray that all of us this morning might experience something of the joy and peace to be found at the foot of the cross.
this in Jesus' name.